0: It's around the
1: house. Have to have you know uncles like Tom Silva, Norm Abram, you know uh, Kevin O'Connor, you know you know these guys are are tremendous to me. You know I've known them my entire life. You know my dad's yeah. been on the show since uh, I think he was like 22 or 23. My grandfather was on the first season, mm-hmm. um, and so you know to be able to you know see it firsthand, the filming process, but also learn the tricks of the trade. Um, And those tips, uh, I was probably, I don't even know, like six years old when I learned how to solder a pipe. um, You know, and uh, just being a fifth generation plumber um, and um, and just seeing, you know, my dad was, he's big into education.
0: When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we talk everything about your home every single week. Thanks for joining us. We have a special guest in the studio today, Ross Trithui, founder lead Engineering over at TE2 Engineering, but you might have seen him on this little show called Ask This Old House or This Old House as their technology expert. Thanks for coming on today, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. This could be a lot of fun, man. And, and technology and, you know, healthy living inside the home is a passion of mine. And Mm -hmm. you do such a great job on a much bigger scale. And from the engineering side of it versus me just being a connoisseur, (laughs) uh, knowing exactly how to do this stuff. So uh, it's, it's refreshing to have a conversation like that with somebody that uh, really knows their stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. You know, we try to talk about, you know, indoor air quality in our everyday life, you know, whether it's on this old house or whether it's, you know, in our, you know, kind of my day job with TE2, you know, just really trying to promote indoor air quality making sure that the, the air quality inside of our buildings is healthy to breathe. Um, and it's you know promote, uh, you know, uh, you know, us uh, having longevity uh, and all the other good things that come, you know, from good indoor air. You know, people focus on what they eat, People focus on what they drink, but they don't really think about what they breathe. And so that's kind of, like the, last kind of uh, the last kind of frontier as far as what people need to be focused on as far as ingesting. You think about, right, and the typical, you know, human, it's crazy to think about this, but the typical human drinks about eight pounds of water a day. And we eat about four pounds of food a day. But You know how much air we breathe in terms of pounds.
0: I have no idea. I'm trying to even think of CFM, let alone pounds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's about 30. So a typical human at, you know, at normal conditions, steady state will breathe about 30 pounds of air a day. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, just comparing that to what we eat in terms of four and what we, you know, drink in terms of eight. That's uh, that's quite a bit, you know, in terms of difference. So
0: and think about um, what's in your air filter when you change it. Oh that's my all what's entering your body, Right.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of studies done that show that the air quality inside of our houses is four, you know, typically four times worse and sometimes up to a hundred times worse than the outdoor air. So like we think of our houses being healthy, you know, clean environments, you know, but a lot of times it's the Petri dish. It's the exact opposite that they, we've locked in all these, you know, contaminants and it gets, some of it gets trapped in the filter, of course. And some of the higher quality filters obviously do a really good job of capturing the small stuff, but uh, but, yeah, the rest of it's going into our lungs, you know, into, into the lungs, into the bloodstream, you know, tiny, tiny particulates. Um, they call it PM 2.5 is the, mm. is the term that they call it. And that's the really, really small stuff, the fine particles. Um, and uh, more science and more, you know, research is being done on what that does to our bodies. But um, it can't be good. It can't be good.
0: No. And on top of it, we can't even get building code straight across the U.S. This is my little soapbox here. We can't even require... Kitchen ventilation hoods in homes. Oh, you got a window that's close enough, and it drives me absolutely insane as a, a nearly thirty-year kitchen designer. That we can't even get that right right now.
1: Oh my goodness, that drives me bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> kitchen exhaust <laughs> is one of those things. It's like, yeah, but I have a recirculating hood, or you know, it's like oh, it's oh like a recirculating goodness. toilet. So How else that, that we could do here?
0: <laughs> I, I it blows me away. And, I, and this is, again, so box. How can I walk into a home center and buy a recirculating hood? I know. That I know. shouldn't be on the market.
1: Shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed. Yep. Yep. Or I, mean, hey, I just cracked the window. I have no hood at all. <laughs> or I have I put the microwave above it, you know. And uh even though a lot of those microwaves can be vented to the outside, they just choose yeah. not to. You yeah. know, it's just it's crazy. Um, I agree with you on that one.
0: So yeah, it's it's wild. And then, you know, I like using new technology. I've got uh I'll use the name out there because it's worked well, but it's also kind of starting to scare me now. I've got one of those Aeris um you know, they're one of the air scrubbers in my house, but mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a little worried about it and I'm going to do some more research on it. And in, in full disclosure, I've talked about it for a couple of times, but my wife yeah. can't bake bread in the house with it. So
1: bake bread, okay? no,
0: it kills the, kills the yeast. So when she goes to rise bread, it won't mm. rise. So mm. she has to go take it outside. And I'm like, wow. wait a minute. Okay. That's making me a little nervous. I know it's really doing a great job of scrubbing the air, but it's killing the yeast. So I don't right. know if I want that in me either.
1: Right. I'm not familiar with the exact machine you're referring yeah. to, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, products that are on the market today, especially coming out of COVID mm-hmm. that are focusing on what well, they call plasma technology or negative yeah. ions and all these yeah. other things. And to be honest with, with you and with everyone that asks me, I say, you know, just put in a HEPA filter, um, and, uh, or a really, really good, you know, air filter in your house as as good as you can get. Um, but just th- that doesn't have any additional kind of chemical reactions taking place because yeah. we don't know what those the chain of reactions that gets created we don't know what that does uh, downstream and so uh, when you're introducing you know uh plasma. And you're ionizing air and stuff like that. Uh, there are a lo- lot of things that we just don't know yet in terms of what that does to the air quality inside our buildings. And so you might solve for one problem, but you may have created a hundred other problems. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's kind of where I'm at because, I mean, this thing uses that, uh, you know, it uses that kind of hydrogen peroxide type technology where it kicks it out yep. in the air. You're familiar with that. And yep. and and I mine's unplugged right now because it kind of making me nervous the more I look into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, so we did a lot of uh, DIY, what I'll call, um, I don't know if you heard about the Co- the Corsi Rosenthal cube or yes. the Pomparato cube. Yep. So it's a DIY, you know, air cleaner uh, mm-hmm. has four filters on it that are all Murph 13 or higher with a mm-hmm. box fan, uh, less than a hundred bucks materials. You build them yourself. I build them for all my kids, my kids' classrooms at school. Nice. Um, and, um, and it was, you know, have them in my house, et cetera. And it's just an awesome, you know, you know, um, media filter for capturing the small stuff and the big stuff that's inside our house. So it's instantly making air quality better. And everyone inside my family, you know, felt a difference, you know, from running those machines. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so my, my viewpoint on most of this is just put in the best air filter you can, um, do it in the rooms that you're going to be living in. Um, And whether it's one HEPA one that's for $1,000 off the market, or whether it's a DIY $100 one, of course, there's going to be different ranges in that. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, you're making the air quality better in your house, not worse. And there's there's no debate on that one.
0: Yeah. And in in full disclosure, I put a brand new system in about a year and a half ago. I put one of the uh, just carrier infinity systems in you know multi-zone old 70s house with their good filter in it so i've got that in the uv in that nothing else crazy you know big six inch type filter and yeah it made day two i was like oh my gosh i'm breathing so much better right oh my goodness yeah
1: i can actually breathe (laughs)
0: yeah i I didn't know how bad (laughs) it was until it's better and you're like oh wow yeah. You know.
1: it's a, that's a great system. You know, I would say Murf, uh MRF 13 is the minimum that I would mm-hmm. recommend for everybody and four inch all the way up to six inch thick, the thicker, the better, right. The yeah. deeper the pleats, the more surface area you have. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but you know, when you have a pleated media filter, um, the difference between like, you know, a four inch and six inch is the size of the pleats. And so the way I think about it is if you were to unroll that accordion and you were to yeah. unbox it and flatten it, How much area would it take up? So if I have a six inch versus a one inch, you can, the six inch is going to be covering much, much more area. So that means lower pressure drop. That means more filter life uh, Mm -hmm. time, life expectancy, um, uh, less resistance on the air motor, you know, blower motor inside your air handler. um, A lot of good things that come out of it. And so, um, so yeah, the thicker, the better. And Murph 13 is, is,
0: or higher is where we're at. And those cheapy one inch ones, the little fiberglass ones, those are there to keep animals out of the fil- <laughs> out of the out of the blower motor, and that's all they do. Exactly. Maybe catch some cat hair, some dog hair. Maybe that at best. Maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah, yep, exactly.
0: That's yep. that's where it is. But at the same point, and we're going to get into more technology here. But I also warn though of taking some old thirty year old system and jamming in a MERV thirteen filter, mm-hmm. and making sure that that actually will flow enough air for your system because you can freeze up. AC oh, yes. units and everything else uh, by reducing too much intake on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. There are a lot of situations where homeowners say, oh yeah, I just ripped out my one inch, you know, MERV 4 and I threw in the MERV 13 and all of a sudden now I'm not getting heating or cooling or whatever. Something happened. I'm going to call my HVAC guy, da 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 And so I don't recommend, you know, homeowners <laughs> just going out and just trying to, you know, replace filters left and right and not knowing what they're doing, of course. But yeah, if you don't have good properly sized ductwork. Um, in your house already. That means that that fan motor is already strained. It's already pushing because you think about it, right? The, the duct work is um, the, the highway system for yeah. the air movement in your house. And so you are moving air along this highway. That's the duct system. If the duct system or the highway in this example is small, that means you're trying to jam a lot of cars and There's a traffic jam, right? And it's going to slowly back up and it's going to create more strain on that motor. And so you don't have the ability to add a high MERV rated filter, um, in a system like that because the blower motor is already constrained. It's already at its maximum. Um, and so, uh, so that would be a really
0: bad thing. It's like drinking a thick shake through a little tiny coffee straw. It just doesn't work well. Doesn't work well. Uh -uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, it's going to be interesting, man. And talking about technology, and, and I want to get into some of this and you do some really cool, you know, more high end residential stuff. But mm-hmm. the more I'm looking into January of 2023, we've got some huge changes coming in the world of HVAC and heat pumps and technology. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing what's going to be happening now. It's, it's going to change the world of how we look at things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the future, um, who who knows the future, but I will say that heat pumps will definitely be a part of our future. (laughs) No question. Whether it's geothermal heat pumps, whether it's air source heat pumps, but the real push right now is air source heat pumps, right? Going to higher efficiencies, uh, going to more cold climate, inverter driven compressors. Going with electronic expansion valves, going to all these really cool technologies that let us get more heat when it's colder outside, and get more cooling when it's hotter outside, and be able to give us cruise control for our house and in terms of the HVAC systems. That is uh, that's coming, you know, and, um, and well, that's here. I should say, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's amazing. Just in in my system with the variable speed, what that did, you know. Mm-hmm. I know some people go, oh, I can get a single speed speed system for this, but variable speed is X. Yeah, man, I will never not put in a variable speed system in anything ever again after having that.
1: Yeah, I I mean, we talk about it with homeowners all the time in different clients. It's like, would you rather have a, uh, you know, in the car analogy, would you rather have a car that's either on or off at 100 miles an hour or zero, right? Or would you rather have a car that could go 50 or 100 or zero, right? So two stage yeah. compressor in that analogy, or would you rather have a car that can modulate <laughs> from 20 miles an hour to a hundred miles an hour and anywhere it needs to, whether you're going uphills, downhills in traffic, you know, dah, 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 dah. so it's, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. Yeah. And the costs are for this equipment is coming down. Um, it's, you know, it's becoming more ubiquitous and, um, and yeah, and there's all these other benefits, right? Part load efficiencies go up. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the dehumidification capabilities go up the um the uh, you know the 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 comfort level inside the house goes up because oh, now it's not cute. slammed
0: on slam off slam on slam off it's, it's you don't it, hear it, it. it i mean i never hear unless it's you know we get extremes here and you know, i'm in portland oregon so you know are yep. in the last two years i've had it be you know 10 degrees outside which is cold for us usually and i've had it 117 degrees outside which is way hot for us yep and at 117 i can hear that thing cranking because it's it's trying to do what it can
1: yeah you know oh, it's yeah.
0: well beyond its designed capability <laughs> and it's doing what it can but that variable speed before that, you just don't hear it running.
1: I know you don't hear it there. You don't have drafts blowing, you know, where they don't need to be blowing. You know, the temperature is right coming out of all the vents. You actually want it to run at all the time at a low speed. That's what you rather. Mm -hmm. You would rather have it be perfectly load matched and running and cycling and just sipping a little bit of energy all the time versus the on off cycles. Right. You, you know, people say, oh, my heat pump's been running all day. It's like, that's okay. Cool. That's okay. That's a good thing. That means it's load matching your entire building all the time. It's always putting in the right amount of heat or the right amount of cooling into your building. And you, I go, do you feel comfortable? I go, yes. Do you hear anything? They're like, no, you know, except when I go outside to the unit. But other than that,
0: you're know, like, that's good. That's a good thing. You know, like yeah. it's doing exactly what it should be doing. And even the outdoor units now talk about a difference in quiet. Oh yeah. I mean, it used to be, it, it sounded like a jet engine out there going brr. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, our a diesel truck starting up. And now that you hear the air.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the fan motors are being redesigned. Um, the, the, the physical fins are being redesigned in the outside units. Um, some of the, you know, uh, Asian manufacturers are going to the kind of the vertical suitcase style mm-hmm. units that have like one or two fans, um, blowing horizontal discharge versus vertical mm-hmm. discharge. Um, and so they're getting into, you know, mixed flow style fans, I don't know how technical we want to get, but basically we're yeah. getting into all these different things that allow us to get more air with better efficiency with, with less noise. And, yeah. uh, and it's, so the decibel ratings, to your point, the DBAs on these units have gone down dramatically. Um, and so it's, uh, it, you it's don't incredible. even it's on half the time. I have to actually yeah. put my hand on the, uh, on the outlet to be like, is that on? No, I can't yeah,
0: tell same. And I can be outside and I can be 20 feet away from my outdoor compressor when the AC is going out there. And I'm like, yeah. is that running? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. That's yeah. There's no more fighting in the city where wh- where you're putting your your compressor, and the neighbor's like, "That's next to my bedroom. Get that thing away from me!" Right. And now right. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we
1: have a lot of towns and city in you know, areas around us that have noise ordinances, so you sure. have to have certain dba level at the property line to make sure that your neighbors are going, you know, that you're you know compliant with the with the zoning in the in the local town bylaws, and so that's, that's a really a non-issue. The only thing that, you know, generators, fossil fuel generators, obviously are still kind of an, an item that we, that comes up on these projects. But from an HVC standpoint, it's, these things are so darn quiet. It's, it's a non-issue. It's a really a non-issue.
0: It's great. You know, and it's just one of those things that, and, you know, we've got a lot of people in, in, in the Northern climates here that listen to the show as well. You know, we're on the radio a lot, even up into Maine, but long story short, heat pumps are working in so much colder climates. I mean, when I was, You know, in the 80s, I remember my parents doing an addition to the house and putting in a very first generation heat pump. And Mm -hmm. in the wintertime, my mom would walk by the thermostat and, you know, kind of be doing the uh, Christmas story square at the furnace thing, seeing the red light on it because emergency (laughs) heat was on. Yep. And and now that just is a, a rare occurrence with some of the new stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the the inverter compressors, um, the electronic expansion valves, and the large surface area. Uh, some of them are microchannel, but the 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 fin design uh, of the outdoor unit in terms of the coil, all of th- those things have really unlocked the ability, and even the um, vapor injection. Say, I should mm-hmm. say is probably the the number one recent criteria that that has allowed uh, these units to heat when it's minus thirteen out. Some of them go to minus twenty five Fahrenheit yeah. now. I mean we're talking about ridiculously cold temperatures and they can still pull heat out of the air and that yeah. that to me is still magic you know <laughs> i talk about you know you know absolute zero yeah. In negative 400 and you know i think yeah. it's 67
0: you know fahrenheit that's about what it, it is up in my uh my son just moved to north dakota and i think it gets close to that but just <laughs> jokingly
1: <laughs> it might not well feel like that yeah I, uh, but yeah i mean these things are amazing the uh the ability to scrub the heat out at those really really cold temps and to do it um energy efficiently is is r- remarkable you know And I I love
0: that that new technology is now in the heat pump water heaters as well on those hybrids. Cause again, that's another place that we're seeing energy efficiencies that are amazing. I put in one about 18 months ago and I I regret, I I was questioning it, putting it in. I'm like, ah, getting rid of my gas and putting electric in. Why would I ever do that? And then I did it and went, why did I not
1: do this a year earlier? Right. The ability to do an all electric home now is, is possible because of the heat pumps Right. So yeah. whether you're talking about air source heat pumps outside for heating and cooling the building and, where and what you're talking about, air source heat pumps for d- delivering domestic hot water, that has really changed the game. And so, you know, if you think about electric resistance tank type water heaters, mm-hmm. you know, you might have two, four and a half kilowatt electric elements that are just chugging. And, you know, the COP on those units is one, right, yeah. or 0.95, you know, mm-hmm. and if you look at a heat pump on a lot of those units – depending on obviously the air temperatures in the, you know, in the location and vicinity of that heat pump, it's typically at least double, you know, so COPs and those units go usually around 1.75 to like 2.25, somewhere around. So basically swap out an electric tank type water heater for an air source heat pump water heater. You immediately just made that twice as energy efficient.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love it because when I have to go to backup power, we lose power. My water heater on heat pumps only using 500 watts to heat 80 gallons of water.
1: I know. I know. And I know. it's incredible. 4.5 kilowatt element, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's absurd. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind that they do have a compressor in them, right? So that makes yep. a little bit of noise, a little vibration there. And you can't jam these in a small, small closet that no. they need air to actually, cause they're, they're actually stealing heat from the, from the basement or from the closet, wherever they're located. Um, and then making that room
0: cooler and dehumidified. So yeah. um, I've got so. one here in my, uh, my garage studio here where it's at. It's, Twelve feet that way, and yeah. it's quiet enough. I mean, you hear it a little bit, but it's it's like a refrigerator running. You yeah, know, like a refrigerator. Exactly. Yep, that's you know, exactly. So I mean, that's
1: effectively, science. what it is, it's yeah. a refrigerator that's just taking heat and putting it into the tank, versus a refrigerator yeah. is taking heat out of the box and rejecting <laughs> it to the to their surrounding air that way. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a glorified refrigerator. Exactly right.
0: Yeah, it works yep. out well. So yeah. technology, man, it's- we are seeing such over the last five years when it comes to. Everything inside the house with so air quality, and I mean, we're talking HRVs, ERVs. You know, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit here, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these whole systems now are starting to become whole systems versus six things working in my house. And I know this is something right. that you specialize in yeah. with your with your company. Let's dive into that a little bit because we're kind of in this new age of where the smart home technology is actually starting to be smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's actually starting to work for us, you know, (laughs) as opposed to just a little widget that does some maybe cool things. Now it's all integrated, you know, in the house. And so, yeah, to focus on, you know, taking the air quality for a ride a little bit, you know, because the air quality in a lot of the houses is so poor, right. We're typically recommending an ERV product, sometimes an HRV, but mostly an ERV product to get that energy exchange and air circulation from inside to outside. And so we're getting fresh air into the house and getting that stale air out of the house. So the always the question is how do you run it? Mm-hmm. So we can size it to ASHRAE standards, we can size it to building code standards, um, and we can size it to ventilate those houses. But you know what we're finding is that those rates in some cases are too high. In some cases, they might be too low. And it really depends on what's going on inside the house, right? Is it a party with 50 people in there and everybody, you know, going nuts around the holidays or is it two people, you know, that are barely there and coming and going, going to work all the time and stuff like that. So like you have completely different use cases in these types of homes. And so what we like to do is say, well, let's measure some of the stuff that's going inside the house Mm -hmm. and let's boost these, you know, variable speed fans when we need to. So we yeah. call it demand control ventilation. It's no different than what they do in commercial buildings. It's just kind of applying it more to a residential setting. And so we could run the, you know, ERV in, in, in a house, for example, low speed continuous at a really low rate so that it's always just getting a little bit of exhaust, getting out and a little bit of fresh air in. So it doesn't, you don't pay a huge energy penalty for doing that. And you get good air quality even when you're not there. So you don't have a stuffy house, yeah. especially in an airtight, you know, super well insulated home. But now if you go to cook or you bring in people, you, so you bring in particulate matter or create particulate matter from the combustion process of cooking, let's say, on a gas cooktop, or you bring in 30 people for a party and everyone's breathing out CO2, um, or you have you know VOC levels that are spiking for the new carpet that you just installed or whatever it might be. The new
0: couch, whatever, yeah. The new
1: couch, exactly. So any of these trigger points... Can trigger the fan to go to a higher level, and we can then measure it over time to see, hey, how are we doing? Where are we? And we can compare these average levels over the typical day uh, to EPA levels and other um, you know standards to make sure that uh, that the house is you know well ventilated and it's healthy for us. Yeah. So um, that's my yeah. house
0: is a perfect case study for that because it's a fifteen hundred square foot, nineteen seventy seven kind of contemporary house. So it's. It's not sealed up that well. I mean, it's got 30 pound felt on studs with T111 siding that's, you know, everything's sealed up well, but it's not that great. I've got a nice HVAC system in it, but I also have a 1200 CFM range hood. I have, you know, two bath fans that are 120 CFM because one bathroom has a steam shower in it, for instance. Sure. And then all of a sudden, if I've got 15 people over for Thanksgiving, I've got a whole different story that just a simple little makeup air isn't going to take care of, for instance. Right, right, right. So do you, is your kitchen exhaust system, is it fed
1: by a, um, a passive makeup air system, meaning just a motorized damper that opens to allow air into the carrier system? Or is it a dedicated unit? What's the makeup air look like?
0: I have a uh, 18 by 24 dog door right now that's doing a really good job for my makeup air. Okay. Cool. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So is it All conditioned? Right. No, but is All it right. something that I, that's next phase of my project? Yeah, we're going to do, I got to do something serious. Cause you know, I, I just, if I go look at a simple makeup air system, I'm, if I turn that fan on and it's running 900 CFM, I'm really pushing just a normal over the shelf makeup air system is not going to work that well.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. To get 900 CFM or more, uh, th- you know, in a house, especially if it's airtight, that's another question I was going to ask you about your blower door. If you ran a blower door test and, and you know what that number is, but basically, um, if it's a, if it's an airtight building, uh, you're not going to get 900 CFM or more into the house, you know, and so you're going to depressurize that house. Yeah. So then you run a risk of depressurizing, you know, um, you know, gas combustion, you know, water heaters, whatever, you know, I, I don't think you have that, but you yeah. know, there's situ- situations where, you can create a negative pressure, and that's going to be bad for a variety of reasons. Sure, um, it's, you know maybe not safety if you don't have carbon monoxide and gas combustion byproducts. But, um, but yeah, so the ERV would help you with general ventilation. Mm-hmm. It could be tied into your bathrooms as an exhaust point, so you don't yep. have to run the one twenty five cfm bath fans if no one's there and you're you know uh, and you just want general ventilation. You can mm-hmm. put an exhaust point in the kitchen to get some you know exhaust point from there. Um, get that outside, and then you can run those on a, on a variable speed output. You know yeah. to uh, to make sure you're getting the right amount of air, and you can use that based on a variety of IAQ sensors. And so yeah. that's the thing where it's the the market is starting to get into more standardized you know you know procedures and protocols around this, but it's still a little bit of a um, not a jerry-rigged solution, but it's still uh, it still requires uh, different kind of off-the-shelf components to have to tie them together there isn't like a standard control yeah. that can do all of this you're um, starting like to see everything.
0: you know retail companies like bro newtone that are starting to touch into it and panasonic mm-hmm. that are starting to touch into it where they're okay we can put a sensor that'll plug into this room that'll run my erv or my bath fan for instance you know so we're exactly. starting to see those solutions come out on the retail level at least
1: that's right yeah so uh, panasonic actually uh just partnered up a little bit ago with uh, swidget and so yeah. Swidgets, a company that's coming up with um, kind of smart home products related to smarter electrical outlets like receptacles, uh, countdown timers for mm-hmm. bath fans and ERVs and stuff like that. And then VOC sensors and other types of air quality sensors um, in the house. And so those can tie in to an ERV. And so we've used that on a couple of cases where we have a, I'll just, I can throw out some brands, I guess, if you want. Yeah, but so I I- know, like you know, you know, one case we're using an air Things. Monitor the mm-hmm. air things monitor is a battery controlled uh device that basically just senses um temperature, relative humidity, VOCs, particulate matter, radon, um, nice. and I believe there's one more they're missing CO2.
0: Okay,
1: so it senses like I would say six really key IAQ factors, yeah. um, and then it talks. Uh, through either Wi-Fi, um, typically, but you can use it through Bluetooth and some other ones, uh, to the Swidget um, uh, <laughs> countdown <laughs> timer, and the countdown timer is tied into an ERV or a bath fan or multiple bath fans. Yeah, and so you could say, "Hey, if there's an IQ event, hey, kick my fan on and bring it up to high speed or something like that." Nice. That's yep. great over the
0: holidays when you got the family over and all of a sudden everybody's getting sleepy because they've been there for four and a half hours and yeah, everybody's blaming the turkey. And it ain't the turkey, folks. Somebody crack <laughs> a window or something. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Everyone's all sluggish, you know, it's uh, and lethargic. It's not the tryptophan. You're right. It's not the turkey.
0: Yep don't blame that, and it's funny. i, me- I remember geez, it had to have been four, maybe four plus years ago. I was on stage down at the IBS at the International Building Show, and we had um we had a a, a who was oh it was a, it was a skylight manufacturer that had one of those sensors on it. Sure. And all of a sudden we couldn't shut the skylights on the display because it was so full of CO2 in the, in the hall that it was in emergency <laughs> ventilate mode. And we oh couldn't get it to shut because air, indoor air quality in the hall was so bad. Can someone turn these rooftop units on? Can someone
1: turn <laughs> this ventilation on? Yeah, I, I mean, call me funny. A geek. I've walked around with IEQ monitors like on my backpack Ooh. or my pocket at those conferences, you know, IBS and yep. AHR and CES and all, you know, all the, the, all, all the acronyms. But, um, you know, and depending on the trade shows and where it's located, some of them are better ventilated than others. Some of them are poorly, poorly <laughs> ventilated. Uh, you know, we I've saw, you know, it was over 2,500 parts per million CO2 at, oh. at one of them. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Crazy. I mean, you add all those people, if you don't have ventilation going, if you don't have those rooftop units going on those, um, you know, on those convention centers.
0: You're yeah, hyperloading CO2. CO2, CO2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. And, and I guess that's one of the, you know, in those commercial buildings, that is going to be one of the, the, the bonus effects of COVID is that all of a sudden, these places are starting to be forced to look at indoor air quality where before it was a temperature thing and that was it. Oh, can we keep it? 75 degrees in here. Okay, cool. Good. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, you know, I hate to
1: say this, but one of the really good things that came out of COVID is a high focal point on IEQ, you know, and it's, Mm. I hate to have a pandemic create that sense of urgency, but- Um, But it's true. You're absolutely right. You know, now that people have gone through that process and start to understand a little bit more about aerosols and virus transmission and respiratory ailments, those kind of things, now it's more front of mind than ever before. And people are now starting to focus. So we're getting quite a bit of phone calls um, from different types of clients that are all now focused on IAQ, whether it's in the office, and the workspace environment, or whether it's at home, um, kind of all of the above. And so, uh, so that part is a really good thing.
0: It's got to be interesting for you because you work on some larger luxury homes out there, and now that can be so much different than a, even a 4,000-square-foot a traditional residential space because mm-hmm. sometimes all of a sudden you got the sport court or the swimming pool or the mm-hmm. workout room, and that changes mm-hmm. the, just the world and how you're going to deal with that stuff because of humidity or CO2 or some of the other stuff.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're doing a project right now that has, a, has an indoor hot yoga room. So they have a room wow. that has to go from 70 degrees up to 105 degrees in less than 20 minutes. Um, and uh, then there's, a, you know, a spa with steam showers, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, and then an indoor pool off of that. So like – And you the wine about- rooms
0: in between them all, right? That's got to yeah, stay right, 50. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's
1: fantasy land. Some of these projects that we do get involved with, it, is, yeah. it it's, it, is it, – they're crazy. Yeah. But, um, you know, but they, for us, they create really interesting engineering challenges. Sure. You know, to your point, how do you deal with IAQ? How do you deal with temperature and humidity control, um, in these, uh, such differing rooms, right? Yeah. Pools, cool. indoor, what they call natatoriums, indoor pools. They are very, very complicated to actually get right because you have, you know, a constant exhaust requirement because you have odors and chemicals in the pool, whether it's chlorine or salt. Yeah. Then you, you know, so it's a caustic environment to begin with. Mm -hmm. You got to get your building shell, your building enclosure around that space nailed down. Make sure you got your, you know, you're talking about vapor barriers and, you know, vapor vapor retarders and different perm ratings. We got to make sure we have air and vapors, you know, treated correctly. But then you have all the mechanical systems that have to deal with the ventilation of that. But you also, you have to heat that air, you know. You have to provide, you know, cooling and dehumidification, you know, otherwise it's going to be raining in there.
0: Yeah. Um, or you get, and, or you get uh, condensation on the backside of the drywall. Not good. Not, not good. <laughs> good.
1: Not good at all. Yeah. So those are the, all these things that, you know, these challenges that come up with the, you know, whether it's a hot yoga room, whether it's indoor pool, what, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so it, uh, it it's, it's fun to be able to think outside the box and get into these unique, you know, applications. Um, but yeah, they are definitely challenging. No question.
0: And we're nope. starting to see that with, with, Bathroom trends right now, because for instance, you know, I did this at my house. I put in a really nice thermosol steam shower system in my house, which I love, but we're starting to see more and more steam showers go in. One of the problems I do see though is is that people aren't planning for them right, even in contractors, not doing them right, where they're not, you know, they're not thinking about the vapor that's being released or if they're using some of the uh, different aromatherapies where they're loading up VOCs by putting in all these essential oils and everything else that they're dropping into these things that go into the steam. Yes. And so I see that being something that's really cool on the healthy front, but also on the unhealthy front, because now you have to deal with that within the the building envelope because now you're throwing a whole bunch of extra either humidity or contaminants in.
1: Yeah. There's like my viewpoint on that is from a ventilation standpoint, is what what we try to do is have a general ventilation in, let's say you have a typical bathroom, but you add that steam shower component to that bathroom. I like to put in uh, inline fans to deal with the ventilation with dedicated pull points. Yep. But I usually, with it, when, as soon as I hear steam shower, that immediately tells me that we need two bath fans. And the reason I say that is because I want to have uh, a general ventilation that's done to handle the water closet, you know, the toilet, mm-hmm. the odors. And if there's a bathtub or any other kind of, um, you know, outside the steam shower that needs to be ventilated. So that space is handled separately. The steam shower itself has its own dedicated pull point with its own fan. Yep. Um, that runs um, when it needs to. So when you're actually using the steam shower, you don't want the fan to run. You want to fill it up with steam, of course. Yeah. But after you're done, there either has to be a user switch to be able to start a 40-minute or 30-minute timer to basically make sure we can get multiple, at least one full air change of that space. Yep. Um, and we try to shoot for you know two to three just to make sure we can get all of that out in a certain amount of time. Um, um, and then from there, then you you make sure that you have, uh, the humidity under control and the, you know, the, the aromatherapy and all the other things is not migrating to other parts of the house and we don't have humidity issues after the fact. One thing I'll note on steam showers is that a lot of times they do them with sealed doors. Yep. And that is also troublesome because if you have a dedicated pull point in a steam shower and you don't have either, um, you know, almost like a clear story uh, or opening or some type of um, ability to get air into that. You have you create an airlock effectively. Yeah. I solved that in my house.
0: Really so I saw. what I I saw, here's how I solved it. So I put my 120 cfm bath fan right outside the door, yeah. And I put an opening transom in that transom window, beautiful. So I can just put that over the door, and yep. then I put the airmada drying system in the shower. Hmm. So that has mine I designed in, it's got 12 different points of air coming in that dry the walls, ceiling, floor, and and the glass. I don't have to squeegee yeah. yeah, But when I walk out of the shower, I can hit that and it goes into a 40 minute drying session. So it'll get that shower bone dry. Nice. And then I have it. So the fans on for 40 minutes as well. So now any of that humidity that I'm pushing in through that, and then it comes right out through that fan that's right out there and it pushes it right out that transom and right out of the building.
1: Yeah, no. So the transom window is key and that timer is key, right? Making yep. sure that you run the timer so the fan will continue to run because you don't want to turn it off once you leave. You have to make sure it keeps going to exhaust yeah. all that moisture. And the transom window gives it a path to get the air and moisture out of there and yeah. into the, you know, into your exhaust. That's a great way to do it. Great yeah, way to do it's it. literally it that, fan is,
0: that fan is eight inches away from the transom. I just went, okay, yeah. it's going to go right here. I don't need it. The rest of it. I've, n- I've never steamed that mirror that's four feet away from that. I've never steamed it up.
1: No, that's great. That's great. No, that's perfectly well done. You know, and that's the whole point of perfect design and execution, right? That it works and it works great. You know, that's you know, I always talk, talk about with my team in engineering. (laughs) We are only noticed if we don't do our job right. <laughs> right. So it's like a thankless job. Like if yep. we make sure that there's no moisture, you know, collecting on any of the inner surfaces of any mirrors in the bathroom and making sure that everything is perfectly temperature and humidity controlled. If we do all of that perfectly fine, it's just what the customer expects. Yeah. You know, and it's it's, you know, and it's So, yeah, it's an
0: interesting job. It's an interesting job. The only problem I have on it, and you'll laugh about this, is that I got to change this up a little bit, is I have a nice three-quarter inch gap under my door. But the heated tile floor, I'm pulling so much air in that it cools about the first 24 inches of tile because of the airflow coming in under the door. Wow. So I'm going to actually go in and put up another little spot where I can vent out and grab the hallway air and bring in there so I can balance that out a little bit so I don't create this cold spot on the heated tile floor.
1: Yeah. 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 And would you ever consider a, um, almost like a traverse duct or a transfer duct? Yeah. So sometimes what we do in projects is we have a transfer grill, transfer duct. There's all different Mm -hmm. versions of it, but basically it can be done in the door. It can be done in a wall. It can be done from a ceiling, like a jump duct. Mm -hmm. They do that a lot in Florida where it's basically from one room to another with a, you know, um, a duct system that basically allows air to pass without the door being open or closed. Yeah. And so um, that's another way to, to, continue, that's a good way to do it. it. Yeah.
0: Okay. See <laughs> now, now, now you got my head going. I might just grab out of the, out of a different spot now. Cause that would be kind of cooler. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You got different <laughs> options. You get different yep.
0: options for sure. Absolutely. Well, it's fun now, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, out here on the West coast, I see this a lot now and it's funny because I get mail probably once a week from my local utility saying, hey, we want to send you a brand new smart thermostat. Yep. And yep. what's hilarious is, is that if you want the smart home thermostat that we can control, it's free. But if you want the one where you can turn off that feature, it's $25. Yep.
1: Yep. It's yep. being
0: a debate out here now because I'm getting so many questions on this. And I love being able to go from that really dumb thermometer, 1970s thermostat into something that's given you some humidity. But uh, I know there's some concerns out there with energy usage, especially out here on the West Coast
1: yeah. where they've been yeah.
0: having blackouts and all of a sudden you come home and why is it 80 degrees? Oh, my utility changed my thermostat.
1: Yeah. It's big. I think that's a growing trend on the starting on the West Coast, of course. It's making its way East. But Um, But yeah, the ability for utility companies to control your heating and cooling, you know, as far as adjusting the the set point of the thermostat when they want to, you know, that, you know, it's, it's an interesting, you know, time, you know, where people can opt into these programs, they get some financial benefit by doing so. And it does reduce, you know, the chances of a blackout and putting in more gas peaker plants and other things like that. So there are definitely some good things that, that are coming out of it. But at the end of the day, it's like, do you really want somebody else being able to control your heating and cooling in your house? And that's, that's the part that I fundamentally have a, you know,
0: a a challenge with. Yeah. I I cringe at that just personally and, you know, teach your own, but I, I, I want to have full control of that. I'm paying for electricity. I want to be able to do it, but I totally get that them going, Hey uh, yeah, we could have a blackout. So uh, do you want to control it or do you want to have it?
1: Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, you don't want a blackout, of course, right? right so it's yeah. like, but at the same time, it's a tricky situation because then you know, why is my you know temperature not where I thought it was? Why am I uncomfortable? And so there are definitely trade offs there, um, and um, I don't have a good solution to that. I, yeah. I hear about it more and more though, and it's yeah. um, it's coming. I'm hearing the same thing for water heaters, yep. and a lot of different municipal uh, electrical utility, you know. Um, you know, town and, and, local areas of different, you know, areas across the United States where they have the ability to change the water heater set point. So if you yeah. have an electric tank type water heater or an air source heat pump water heater, instead of maintaining the temperature at 120 or 125 or 130 degrees, mm-hmm. they're going to make an adjustment and they're going to adjust it down so that they're going to cut out your electric, you know, elements, for example, yeah. in your electric tank type water heater to prevent that from, from that, uh, that peak occurring. And yeah. also time of use rates. You know, yeah. that is also starting to, you know, uh, to go across. You know, it used to be that you paid a fixed rate of electricity. Every kilowatt hour, you paid a certain fixed amount for it. Didn't matter whether you used it at noon, four o'clock in the afternoon, or at midnight. Yeah. Uh, but now that's changing. You know, time of use rates is is becoming more and more of a thing. And so and I think it's going to swap times, solar. too.
0: I think What's it's going to swap times now, too, because you have people that are going to be coming in with their, their Teslas or their F-150 Lightnings and plugging in and taking so much more electricity off the grid than their water heater or their electric furnace was.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. The electrification movement does have, I mean, it has amazing pros and I'm a big Mm -hmm. advocate for it, but there are definitely some negatives or some downsides that people need to be aware of, you know, as we electrify our homes and as we electrify our cars and everything like that, that's going to put an enormous amount of uh, demand on the grid. Sure. So how does that get navigated? Um, That's going to be a challenging part for us moving forward. You know, solar and batteries is definitely hit or stay. The battery costs are coming down. Solar has come down dramatically. So that is going to be kind of a big part of it. But, you know, beyond that, um, the sun isn't always shining, right? So, you know, um, there's situations where You know, um, if you plug in your EV vehicle, you know, and you have all that going across the grid all at the same time, that's an enormous amount of load that, you know, um, it has to be absorbed somewhere. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is, um, you know, there's a huge push right now for vehicle to grid or vehicle to home technology for electric vehicles. And I'm really interested to see where that shakes out where – you have a hundred kilowatt hour battery in your, you know, electric vehicle like a Tesla or whatever. Yeah. It's just sitting there in your garage or sitting there in your driveway. If the grid goes down, the power goes down. You know, why wouldn't we or shouldn't we be able to pull the energy, pull electricity from the battery, go the reverse direction, and power up your house? Yeah. So, so to make sure that you, your heating can run, so pipes don't freeze, or to run your domestic hot water, so you can take a hot shower. You know, you're you're trading, obviously, the ability to move with your car, you know, but you're effectively keeping your shelter, you know, uh, going, you know, in terms of heat and, you know, all the, you know, the critical loads of a building.
0: Yeah, well, you you went after some of that stuff in that future house series that you did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the solar stuff's fascinating to me, but it's not a be all end all just because like at my house, I've got a half acre here, but I've got a 150 to 400 year old you know 200 foot tall fir trees here so i yeah. have no direct sunlight so right. it right. would take me 2 years through my city to get a permit to take a tree down if they'd let me <laughs> so it's you know solar is not going to be an option yeah. anytime soon if at all but you're right storage right. is going to be the big thing i think coming forward and and that is getting cheaper and i think that we're going to start seeing some new battery technologies that maybe aren't even using as many of those you know rare earth you know minerals and things like that that are going to be a little bit better Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big part is the battery technology. Yeah. So we're limited right now. Lithium ion can only be so good. And, uh, lithium ion has a bunch of, a lot of it has, you know, hazardous chemicals, you know, that are in there. Um, you know, the cobalts, um, you know, manganese, um, uh, you know, other types of situations like that. So I would, you know, where I see it going is someone's going to unlock the battery equation right there are different uh, there are flywheels and iron air batteries and all these other different tech, you know technologies that are being experimented with at the research you know university level and someone's going to unlock it um it's i think it's just a matter of time lithium ion like i said can only get us so far yeah. um but uh it's a it's really interesting point in our future um and also you know i'll mention that We're doing an upcoming segment on Ask Us the House at a company in Cambridge, Mass., uh, that was spun out of MIT. Mm -hmm. That's wireless charging for electric vehicles.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, so one of the big pushbacks on a lot of homeowners is that they don't want to be able to have to plug in their car when they come home. They just want to pull into the garage or pull into the driveway. This company's setting out to solve that, similar to what you have when you do induction charging of your cell phone. right? When you put your cell phone on a pad and you charge it, that same technology, exactly. <laughs> yep, that same technology is now being deployed for cars, and um, and they've already unlocked some of the a couple of deals with Hyundai and some other manufacturers. So once these manufacturers get on board, it's going to be really cool. You literally just drive into your, your garage and you, you can walk away, and the the car charges itself. Automatically.
0: So logically, then, could you put that in a highway down the road? Now right, we're
1: talking. Now See? we're talking as now you, you got drive that in the pavement
0: as you're driving. So you're not using up that battery power in that freeway. You can actually charge your vehicle as you're going. Yep. What about like if every, you know,
1: couple miles, there was a charging station that was embedded in the highway slab yep. for right? a mile so- or two
0: to quick charge.
1: Yeah. So you get a quick charge in this area and then you can continue going for the next couple of miles or whatever it is. And then you have another charging station. So, you know, the idea of having, you know, the old school trolley systems that had, you know, cables that were connected to the top of the trolley. It's the same idea, but it's wireless, you know, and um, they still have that in
0: Seattle for the bus system up there in downtown. I used to commute that way all the time and they'd, you know, you had the cables going up and it was just a regular looking city bus, but it was all electric and they had the cables up there, but this would just be the opposite version of that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it's going to be really, really cool. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, to me, this is, I I love this stuff. I breathe this stuff every day, but the next like 20, 25 years is going to be so, so cool for, you know, on the technology front from the electrification movement to transportation, to homes, heat pumps, you know, smart home, all of the above.
0: Cambridge really has some great technology stuff. I've got another group that I work up there, the Sense Labs people that do the home energy monitoring. I've been up and hung out with them and their studio up there in Cambridge. And and that is cool up there, that that whole neighborhood of...
1: Yeah, Yeah. we filmed with them. Yeah, I met uh, Mike Phillips. You know, guys over there. Great people. Yeah, great people. And um, I've got one in my house, and so it's you know, it's so cool to just see the insights that you get out of you know measuring what you're using and how you yeah you just to see the movement of your electric usage based on a shower or based on you know heat pump kicking on or whatnot. You can just see the bubbles you know pop open (laughs) you know drop off. Um, really cool. And then stuff. I get
0: that new, new device detected. and I'm like, what was that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I mean, I've had the thing in for, I don't even know how many years and it's still detecting new devices. Yeah. Uh, mine has like, gotta be
0: three, probably three or four. I mean, it was a pretty early adopter and I've yeah. shot a lot of videos for them on their how-to stuff, you know, for them, nice. and uh, just great people. It was fascinating to me. And some of our audiences heard me tell the story, but I was in there, and we we pull up my account. I give them my login details to my account so they could look at it. And they're sitting there. They look at it, and they, at the time, I had a GE front load washer and dryer. And he just looks down and goes, "Oh, GE front load, huh?" <laughs> what? How did goes, you oh, know yeah, that. that little? Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, man you you know that that electrical motor and that gives off, and you knew that was a GE product. That's freaky cool.
1: Yeah. I was talking with one of their engineers. I was like, so what do you guys see like, you know, five years, 10 years from now? And uh, she goes, um, she goes, we can start to see um, the ignition cycles on like a furnace or on like, Mm -hmm. you know, or a washing machine turning on or turning off. And so we can now see how many cycles did it start to actually ignite the furnace or um, how many, you know, uh, how does the electrical signatures look in the washing machine that's probably close to the end of its life, you know, or maybe you need to check the bearings or maybe, you know, so the whole predictive um, maintenance that could come out of something like that to say like, look, it took three times for your furnace ignition cycle, your boiler ignition cycle to take place when it normally takes one ignition cycle to start. You know, you probably want to get it serviced and cleaned, et cetera, et cetera.
0: We caught a bad capacitor on a, on a heat pump there on the startup motor on that while we were there. Wow. And somebody else's Thing. They were going through it and, oh, wow, look at that. It tried to start it and it didn't. And we got to get bad capacitor. And I was like, okay, that's the cool part of this is that now is that cool. you're starting to, you know, start to do something with that, which is super cool. I mean, that's that's where it starts saving you money when you start, you know, because many times with with many things in your home, whether it's a bearing going out in the washer or, or, a, or a heat pump that's not working correctly, that's costing you money before you realize it's failing in many cases. Right.
1: Right. People don't know that it's not working correctly. It, yeah. it could literally short cycle itself to death, or it could be, you know, it could, you know, shorten the life, like you said, significantly because it was never, you know, commissioned properly, maybe from the start or maybe, yeah. you know, and so the, the to be able to see inside the box, you know, is what I envision you know, something like sense can do. Yeah. And, uh, and that will, like you said, you know, it will provide us with the ability to service things before they, before they fail or let us know, Hey, Something's wrong. You got to take a look at it, you know? Yeah.
0: There are so many smart home things out there. And I know you see them all too that are that are changing the world of that, you know, from, from that Ting sensor now that can check for electrical shorts in your electrical system. I mean, mm-hmm. there are so many things. And, you know, the leak detection is a little bit interesting, you know, yep. as far as that. Uh, I, I at thought, first thought, okay, I want to have it close to my house. But uh, I was talking to my buddy, Roger Wakefield, the expert plumber. And he's like, no, you want it out by your meter by the street. Yeah, to save some you, money. You yeah, you talking about the water meter, right? The Water meter ones, Yeah, Watching the water flow close
1: to the utility as possible, or the yeah. you know the water supply as possible. Uh, it, you know, because you want to absorb and see how the entire plumbing system is is working. Yeah. So usually, I'll tell people is right after the, the meter, right after yep. your water meter, put this thing in. And uh, I have one in my house. Uh, we've used a variety of them over the years for different you know clients of ours. They're phenomenal. They yeah. are, they, to be able to sense the temperature, the pressure and the flow of the water and for it to be able to do leak testing, let's say at midnight or one in the morning when no one's using any water mm-hmm. um, is really, I mean, it's it saved a couple of our clients big time. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, they, my neighbor right now is fighting that right now. They've got a, I'm, I'm happy that they're not doing it today as we're recording this because they have a 130 foot driveway that goes back to their house and their water line is underneath that, and it's been leaking for about two months because they've been trying to figure out how to do it and not mess with the trees. Oh, so they're going to have to line bore that. But uh, they were getting $1,000 water bills for two months before they went, what's going on?
1: That's crazy. That's that pays crazy. for a
0: system really quickly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these are $300, you know? Yeah.
1: $400, something in that range, you know? It's like that pays for stuff really, really quickly. And the number one insurance claim in America is water damage. Yep. It's like if a pipe leaks, if you have a leak, if some, somebody's hanging a picture on the wall and they put a screw or nail right through a water pipe <laughs> done and that. on that wall, <laughs> you'd be amazed how much, if you've ever had that happen to you. Uh, done it. Am- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Done <laughs> it. Yeah. It's amazing how much water comes out of that. It's absurd. absurd yeah, about
0: six years ago, uh, we were moving into a rental house uh, for about a year as we were kids were getting out of high school that stuff before he moved and wanted to stay in the district but it got a good deal on the other place before so we went into a rental for a year and i was putting the tv up using the stun finder oh great double stud nope that was a three-quarter inch cp water pipe there instead and across this little den i had the window open because it was a nice spring day went through with the lag bolts pre-drilled it It blew the screen out of the window because the window was open across the room. And uh, luckily I knew where the water was. So that was a, that was a little more of a a plumbing slash drywall repair, but yes, water goes fast when that happens. Yes.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. I tell everybody, if you don't know, figure out where your water shutoff is, where your electrical shutoff is. If you have gas, where your gas shutoff is. Those are the three most important things. If you don't know where those three are, go find them in your house because you never know when they're going to come in (laughs) in handy. (laughs) A a plumber, a friend of mine was doing a radiant heating job. So they installed Mm -hmm. radiant tubing. And they, um, and they set it up. Everything was ready to go. The flooring guys came to put the flooring on top. Of course, they put a nail right through all the pipes. <sighs> Nobody knew it. But it was small enough of a leak that it wasn't a, like a significant burst. Mm-hmm. So the waters continued to leak and leak and leak. And this is on the first floor. All of a sudden, they were down the basement and there's a huge bubble. The whole oh. sheetrock rock ceiling in the basement had started to swell yep. and burst. And water just went everywhere. Um, and if you know it flooded a good portion of the basement and the entire first floor, you know, the cabinets had all capillary, had wicked all oh, the water yeah. up it. Um, it was just an absolute nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah. Show, show me the photos. It was
0: yeah, awful. that's I had my, the worst case. I had one like that where they. Um... The They had a, a third three-story house, so it was kind of a daylight basement. Uh, it was on a hill, so first floor is where the steps went up to, but there was a daylight basement. And then yep. the second floor is where the, the master suite was and stuff with the laundry up there, and the washer hose failed when they went to Europe. Oh. And the neighbors figured it out when it blew up the sliding glass door because it filled up the basement high enough to blow the sliding glass door off its track. Oh, and I that was agree. a year and probably half to three quarters of a million dollars of renovation because water ran down everywhere, everywhere. and touched yeah. everything. It was a down-to-the-studge project.
1: I have to assume that they were rubber hoses on, Course. The, on the washer. Yep. Always. Always. Every, every time. Yeah. My dad always stresses that stainless steel, <laughs> braided <Yeah. laughs> hoses for every washing machine. Please. Please. The rubber ones, they just don't last. You know? I gotta but ask you, crazy. since you
0: brought since you brought your dad up, what's it like growing up? with that legacy as a father and the television <laughs> show. Cause I mean, your dad is one of my favorite people in the world. I've chatted with him a bunch of times cause I'm, you know, pretty decent friends with Kevin and, and all sure. that. I was there for the big, when they had the, uh, the 40th anniversary party at the station. I was Kevin's guest there for that. Nice. Uh, for that nice. party there. So uh, when they had just that Q and a session, I was there in Boston for that. But uh, yep,
1: yep, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to have, you know, uncles like Tom Silva, Norm Abram, you know, uh, Kevin O'Connor, you know, you know, these guys are are tremendous to me. You know, I've known them my entire life. You know, my dad's yeah. been on the show since uh, I think he was like 22 or 23. My grandfather was on the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to be able to, you know, see it firsthand, the filming process, but also the, learn the tics, uh, tricks of the trade. Um and those tips. Uh I was probably, I don't even know, like six years old when I learned how to solder a pipe. Um, you know, <laughs> That's and right. That's uh, right. so just being a fifth generation plumber, um and um and just seeing, you know, my dad was he's big into education. So it was all about, you know, you know, I'm gonna teach you not only how to do it, but why we do it a particular way. And I think that part, um you know has that def that the why question is a big part of how i went on to do it you know engineering and go into because why do we do certain things a certain way or yeah. how do we make them better you have to know the why and so uh he definitely instilled all of you know that hard work ethic and a bunch of things um and um, yeah just learned a ton from him so yeah it's been an absolute blessing you know
0: very you fortunate. are living a master class <laughs>
1: true it's true
0: I mean, But mean seriously that, you know, high
1: expectations big shoes to oh. fill you know a lot of other things that come with it but yeah of course i mean well, it's, i'm not it's saying like that was easy my, my friend i'm not
0: saying that was easy at all you know because <laughs> you know when that bar is high it's like ooh, I, i'm supposed to exceed that bar because that's the pressure of a kid right and that's right that's, that's, right. that's a that's a high high bar but uh bar that's not to be proud for of sure.
1: Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's a masterclass. You know, my entire childhood was, you know, learning all about the systems of buildings, you know? Yeah. Um, and so a uh, tremendous opportunity for sure.
0: And and that show is just the the, you know, gold standard of television as far as it goes out there of just being, you know... Every other home improvement show out there, no matter how long they've gone, they have their kind of ebbs and flows of not. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a little bit less great. And uh, man, that yep. that whole franchise has just somehow been able to keep that top shelf through the entire time. And it's probably one of the hardest as somebody that works in TV now, the hardest to film because you have to follow all the the PBS rules and public broadcasting rules. Mm-hmm. And doing that in Home Improvement is an art form just before the camera turns on. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, credit to Russ Morash, right? The creator of the yeah. show. He was the one that had the the kind of the the insight and the, the you know the ability to see, hey, people want to know what's going on inside their house and how a home improvement project should go. And the fact that it went to PBS, I think is one of the main reasons why the show has lasted as long yeah. as it has. I mean, this house, I think is in its 43rd yeah. season, something yeah. like that, going into 44th next year. Um, you know, and so- one of the things about PBS guidelines is that you can't really show brands, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't really talk about a particular brand, and so um, that makes it more authentic. The no sense question. that you, you know, what I mean? It's not focused on, hey, here's it's a here's a marketing advertisement for this brand, and so and on, so and on, so forth. It's more about the process and the why yeah. of, of how to do something, um, and the fact that um, it's it's gone through PBS with those PBS guidelines. I think has a lot to do with the success. And then not to mention, you know, the people on the show, we're not actors, you know, no. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody is an actor. Nobody, you know, everybody's a contractor or an engineer or, you know, in their skilled trade, whatever that might be. Um, and so, you know, there's, uh, that gives, act, you know, more authentic authenticity to the brand. Yeah. Um, and that these are professionals that are doing doing their stuff and that's the brilliant part we do every day
0: yeah i mean that's why they brought kevin on and kevin's been on the show multiple times and and kevin o'connor i mean he was a homeowner he was a guest off ask this old house right that they said hey do you want to take over steve's job and you know he would he didn't know and that was the great part because he could actually go ask the questions that the typical homeowner would ask versus just having it being a full trade only show
1: yeah yeah. I mean, his whole story of how he got onto the show and all it's that, amazing. Is, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And he, he's unbelievable. He is, he, he doesn't, I mean, I don't know if he comes off on camera this way, but he is one of the smartest guys in the room. You know, yeah. he comes off as asking maybe dumb questions or what questions, you know, homeowners might want to know, but he's really a brilliant guy. He's really, really smart. Um, and so he has the ability to, I almost think he has like a photographic memory where he can. Uh, we can have a quick conversation about what the segment that we're going to be filming is about, and then it's just ingrained in his head. And he asks all the right questions at the right time to keep the conversation flowing. You know, um, you know, a, a lot of us are not like I said, we're not actors, so sometimes <laughs> we need a little coaching and we need a little bit of you know, uh, hey, throw us a you know. You know, give us a lob, you know, <laughs> let's hit a home run here, you know. He so he's pretty uh, he's good amazing. for a
0: finance guy, right? You know? <laughs> yes,
1: he's a <laughs> finance background, I know. He, you know, um, he was working for different banks, you know, previous to that, fixing yeah. up, uh, you know, a, a rental, you know, building that he had in the Boston area with his wife. Uh, asked his house, came knocking and, um, uh, you know, the, my understanding is that Russ Morris was like, yeah, what about that, like, you know, that Irish looking kid, you know, that was really good or, you know, good talker on camera. Do you think he would want to host and uh the rest is
0: history yeah it's awesome well hey brother we're running out of time what did we not cover here i mean you and i have so many rabbit holes that we can jump down here that i'm happy we didn't get into in too deep in the woods on some of these because you and i could have made this very interesting conversation for at least you and i not sure about everybody else but
1: (laughs) (laughs) a lot of rabbit holes to go down for sure i try Uh, to keep it high level so that we're not letting people's eyes glaze over or you know our ears you know turn off but uh Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about a lot, um, um, yeah, I I don't, I mean, nothing stands out to me as like, you know, we, yeah, you know,
0: know. I think people should just, you know, my, my goal in all of this is just to have people be aware of their indoor air quality and start making decisions based on that. Right. I mean, you know, it's not just, oh, you know, if you see that the sun coming in and that dust in the air, you could probably do something about a lot of that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Making inter more of a focal point for people is, is definitely a big part of, of what I try to do. Um, and talking with, you know, you know, on the show with clients, et cetera, you know, just trying to make it more front of mind for people. And it's not that my goal is not to have it as a scare tactic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's not at all. It's just more to let people know, you know, what the implications are of bad indoor air quality inside your house. Right. And, you know, when you look at like things like, you know, asthma rates of children over time, you look at certain things like that, you know, there isn't a direct, you know, we can't say that poor indoor air in the house caused this, but there's yeah. enough things around it that say, hey, that's probably not helping. That's not helping the situation here. So, you know, make this stuff more front of mind. Make sure people are more focused on ventilation of the building. Make sure people are focused on, you know, the, uh, the contaminants and the particular things that the actions that we do inside our house that make the air quality in it suffer. Um, you know, crack a window, run the makeup air, run the <laughs> ERV, you know. Yep. Change the filters. Happens. Change of filters <laughs> Yeah Exactly All good stuff
0: Alright brother Thanks for coming on today man I really appreciate it Can't wait till next time Yeah Thank you Eric We'll see you soon Alright thanks again And you've been listening to Around the House Somewhere unseen And undiscovered out beyond the mean Life is a love song Let's be lovers We're all over the radio